0: So I uh, appreciate that uh, there was a little delay in starting because of technological dukkha. And uh, I appreciate it because I hope um, it allowed you just to continue practicing and to staying very present with your body and breath as you sit here. And I would like to encourage you to put your body and breath in the foreground for the talk. And a little bit I'm uh, echoing one of my teachers when I studied samadhi, who would always say, he would say, if you're with the breath while I'm talking, that's the way to listen to the talk. And if you don't hear the talk, you're getting, you're getting more information from the breath than you would get from me anyways. So, that's one option for you. And you can see what it's like even now if you stay close to or intimate with your body and your breathing while I'm talking. Because generally, my experience has been that, oh, I can hear the person speaking and I understand the words, but I'm not going away from my body and my breath. And so feel free free to play with that during the talk or right now. Um, And I'll talk a little more in the talk about what does it mean to play with practice. And I hope in the talk tonight to continue what we've been doing, which is opening the door to samadhi, to concentration practice, um, which we began. Philip began, and then and then uh, Sally gave a big overview about concentration. And then uh, yesterday, um, uh, Adrian talked about the five jhanic factors, factors of experience that we can start to um, work with or play with as we start to get closer to our direct experience of our body and our breathing. And I like to combine the two, body and breathing, because mindfulness of the breath is a body practice in the four foundations of mindfulness. Right, The first foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body. And breath is the starting place. And I hope that um, we're inviting you into... Uh, some of the mystery and magic of the reality that's sitting in your seat. Of the liveness that's here in human form. And it's characterized partly by the body and the breath. And of course it's even more fully characterized by the body and breath and the heart and mind which knows that there's a body and breath here, not just conceptually, but experientially, directly, immediately. And please, I know we're in a silent retreat, but if, if there's no body and breath here, raise your hand, because I believe it's here for all of us. And so the invitation is to start to learn a little more, discover a little more, explore a little more about the reality that's sitting in our seat. The liveness that's here in human form that we all know about and also in some ways we are still learning about. We we know and we don't know. And I find that many different ways, but it's quite uh, beautiful to be here in this form, in this realm. It's talked about the human realm, right? There are different realms of existence in Buddhism, heavenly realms and, and underworld realms, but also the human realm is a very specific realm that the Buddha was part of He was a human being like each of us and he discovered something about the potential for us as human beings to wake up or to discover more of who and what we are and the possibility for us to I might have said this already here become mature human beings like develop even more than we're used to or more than the conventional understanding of what it is to be mature. And that's a little bit how I think about what the Buddha discovered, a certain kind of maturity that was beyond the conventional for his time. And this, what we're studying, Samadhi concentration, is one of the key elements that he pointed to over and over and over again. And I saw that lovely handout, which I believe was given out, was given good, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, with all those beautiful, you know, the Eightfold Path all leads to right concentration and the five spiritual faculties, seven factors of awakening. and. You know, those are beautiful understandings of, oh, how essential this kind of unity of experience that we call concentration or samadhi is for us and for our practice and for awakening or for maturing as human beings. And so tonight I'd like to talk about uh, the paradox of effort. Right, right, effort. Are we okay or is it here? Is it popping off of my face? It just happens. <laughs> Okay, Okay, seems okay. So the paradox of effort and non-effort that's needed as we start to get closer or become more intimate with our direct experience of the body and the breathing. And remember the, the Effort is one of the translations um, for the for that word. It's also energy is the other translation. virya. energy, is a nice translation. And right, sometimes people have a problem with right meaning right or wrong. It's. Uh, I like to look up words in the dictionary to see oh what what are they or where did they come from, and right also means. Uh, that which brings us in alignment with the truth and that's a beautiful dharmic understanding of what's meant by right effort or right energy or right view or right understanding or right, right intention it, the the intention or the energy that brings us in alignment with the truth with the dharma which is often translated as truth <clears throat> So the paradox that I'm pointing at and that you're exploring already is, oh, how do you make effort? What kind of effort is needed? What kind of energy is needed? And what kind of non-effort is needed in order to stay right here with this simple, simple experience of a body breathing? I, I believe personally, it's often my experience that the most difficult part of the Dharma is how simple it is, not how complex. Because we're not asking you to do anything you don't know how to do, right? Is that clear, I hope? Everybody knows how to breathe, right? We, we won't be here when we can't do that anymore. But the breathing is happening whether you do it or not right now, meaning it's, it's happening. The body does the breathing, right? It does it even at times if you try to hold your breath. You know, good luck for about a minute, You a know, minute and a half, right? And then it, the body will re- rebel. We have a teenager right here in our body who will really tell us what's going to happen. And so this breathing is happening and we're not used to paying attention to it in this more intimate way, in this more sensitive way, in this more uh, mindful way, or we could say bodyful way because I think that's better language, more accurate language for what we're doing. We're being bodyful with the breath. We're feeling the breath. We're sensing it. We're starting to know it experientially, not just conceptually. And part of the effort or energy that's needed is paradoxical, because there's this... um, relaxation that we've been pointing at. That's very important. And then there's also something that's more proactive needed and helpful. And it, throughout the, much of the teaching, which is called will, will in conventional language, the will. You, one uses one's will to stay present with the breath at times. And often, especially in the beginning, before the momentum starts to carry us, which it can, it takes some will. Okay, I'm going to stay with the breath now. I'm going to be with it now. And I'm going to figure out if I can help with this clicking now. Um, And so there's a certain kind of effort um, and giving oneself to the practice that we make. And the reason that we um, emphasize relaxation so much is because we want your body to be relaxed. We don't want you to have to tighten up to breathe because you don't have to. But what we do want is your intention to be enacted And that's sometimes called will. I looked up the word will and it said a faculty by which a person decides on and initiates action. And and that works for what we're doing here. The faculty by which a person decides on and initiates action. And the action here is to be mindful of the breath and to stay with it and to be consistent, and to, in my language, give oneself to the practice fully. And and Will has other, I like always like to see what the thesaurus says, it says, like other words, we could use a determination, resolution, resolve, right? Single-mindedness, this is the dictionary of these days, probably wasn't there 30 years ago, um single mindful mindedness, purposefulness, commitment, dedication, tenacity. Those are some of the different flavors of will that are called up at times to stay very consistent with this very, very, very simple practice of being aware of your breath right now, even while I'm talking. It's a little harder to do when one is talking, but it's also, do one can stay with the body and the breathing. And it's more, it's not as pronounced as when one is not talking, but it's still happening. It still can be known. And of course, will or um, determination or resolution or dedication or commitment is part of the Buddhist teaching from the get-go, right? The Buddha had a lot of will. He was not just relaxing, right? That was not his only uh, skillful means. He wanted to wake up, and people told him he could not wake up in that way at all. And he didn't buy it. He had a lot of will. He said, no, I'm going to find this I'm going to discover this I'm going to realize this potential that I intuit and he followed his intuition and he gave himself to practices and then he some of the practices didn't take him where he want and so he quit doing them and he sought other practices and then, and the ones that worked, he trusted them and followed them as he discovered them, and he went with them all the way. <clears throat> so I'm speaking to the will component of effort a little to bring it into the room, because we've brought uh, the relaxed, receptive, component which is also essential. And it's a paradox to actually put the two together and let them go. Because it will take you, it will take one, in my experience, beyond what one knows. And so effort then becomes a uh, can become not just a muscular effort which sometimes that's called on right if if you get up if you get in the room and you're just totally spaced out and going all over sometimes okay it it's like i'm going to do this i'm going to stay here i'm going i'm going to get get back to the breath and it has a little um vajra energy and i like that term it's not in the theravada Uh, that I know of, but it's in the uh, uh, Mahayana. Vajra means sword-like energy. And that's an important energy for each of us to have some access to, because it's part of our inheritance as human beings, and it's part of our inheritance in this path, as well as the great kindness and heartfulness and softness and opening and relaxing that is also part of this path. And so effort can become more refined as we start to settle. And settling is happening here in this room. And, uh, you know, it's of course, each person is unique and we're not expecting anybody to have the same experience as anybody else but we can feel the settling happen because it, we feel it in ourselves and it's we're not separate from here even though we're not uh, we don't have quite the good fortune to be practicing as much as you formally but we're here and we're sitting and we're we're in the field of the dharma and the what i consider part of the beauty and the power of sangha is that there is a that there is something greater that happens in sangha than just in the individual and it's palpable it's touchable feelable knowable and so the refinement that can happen as we settle becomes not just a muscular effort, but a kind of devotion to the breath. To staying right here with this simple, ordinary, everyday experience that we call breathing. That is where we commit or dedicate ourselves and we're attentive and we care about it. And we really start to love being here. Like, there's no place else we actually want to be except actually right here. And because this is where the the magic and beauty and mystery and potential of all of the Dharma is right in your seat. It's, It's nowhere else. It's right here in this human experience. And so we all have that love, whether it's conscious or not conscious. One of my teachers sometimes calls it the Enlightenment drive right It's like we have other kinds of instinctual drives he He calls it the Enlightenment Drive. I always like that i don't know if it's it's i don't know if it's in the Buddhist text, but I still like that idea that there's something off inherent that's calling us and that we're giving ourselves to because we care about whatever word you personally might use, whether it's love or enlightenment or awakening or freedom or good-heartedness or kindness, whatever it is that calls you, that's part of what we're giving ourselves to by being right here now with this body and this breath, moment by moment by moment, <clears throat> sometimes when i'm when i've been doing uh uh jhana practice when i've been doing samadhi practice really i i i uh i often feel like um <clears throat> that there's nothing else better really than just being right here and and what does it mean to just do what I care about most. And it's not that I don't care about many other things, but underneath all the particular cares, they're fueled by a bigger care or love for reality or love for the Dharma or love for freedom, whatever it might be for you, but I'm speaking personally for me a little bit. And I did a lot of um, and so I'll talk a little bit about my own practice, because, of course, we each talk from our own practice, and they're not the same exactly. We all have different teachers a, a little bit, and different um, influences that we've been impacted by, and uh, different experiences. And so I did a lot of whole what what I called whole-body breathing. Whole-body breathing. I studied with Tanasaro Bhikkhu. And, uh, and I would do a number of retreats, months, just doing whole body breathing. And whole body breathing means you're aware of the whole body and, it's, and while it's breathing. And you're aware of the breath in the whole body. In the whole body doesn't mean the breath goes to every nuance necessarily. But you could, you could play with it for a moment. Just feel your whole body while you're sitting here. And then be aware of the breath that's happening by itself as you sense the whole body. Or, and one of the things I, I always appreciated very much about Tanjaf, um, Tanasara uh, Bhikkhu, was that he always encouraged the felt sense experience of the breath and body. Right? And so, so what he was encouraging in my in some language that I like is a proprioceptive awareness of the body. It's not that you necessarily feel every single iota of the body, but you feel the overarching experience of bodiness sitting here, right? So, it, and it may be literal, but it may be bigger than your body, this sense of bodiness that's here. It may be smaller than your physical body. It doesn't matter. You feel, sense, start to be um, in touch with the bodiness that's here and the fact that breathing is happening in this bodiness. And I just like the word proprioceptive, so I throw it in there. But But the the spirit of that teaching, um, which I believe you can take into however you're aware of the breath, uh, but in this case it was very clear, it was whole body breathing, is to let consciousness permeate the experience. Let your consciousness permeate the experience of the breath and body. And you could do that in whole body, you could do that at the tip of the nose, or the, permeate the chest, or permeate the belly or torso moving. Whatever, However you practice you want to get closer to the direct experience. Because of course you all know that you're breathing. And you can know you're breathing in many different ways. And we want to keep encouraging, supporting, um inspiring you, if we can, to have it be an experiential understanding of the breath. So that you get closer and closer to the direct experience. Because, and that's what I want. When I'm sitting, that's my, all my skillful means is, oh, how do I give myself fully to this experience? How do I sense the breath? How do I, and I'm not looking for a, a cerebral answer, I'm looking for the experiential answer because that is the answer, the experience. And so, so the one of the ways I think about this, and I often talk in general when I'm teaching about, when I'm, working with somebody, I'm asking, oh, what's the somatic, energetic, kinesthetic experience that's happening right now? What's the somatic, energetic, kinesthetic experience of your breath right now? And of course, and you may have a a conceptual answer, and that's okay, but keep going close to the direct experience. So you're not just observing from a distance. You're observing from right there in the experience itself. You're knowing it directly, or as directly as possible. And so Tan Jeff would use a language that I also really appreciated, so I want to acknowledge him about that. He would, he would talk about awareness immersed in the breath. Awareness immersed in the breath and body. Um, or, or awareness immersed in the direct experience. And I like the word immersed because it's a, it's a tactile experience. And he would say, "Oh, you could saturate the breath and body with awareness, saturate the breath and body or or see what it's like when when the uh, when the uh, when your awareness is bathed in the breath bathed in the breath, and you hear the tactileness, the felt senseness in the language, and that's why I love the language so much because it takes me." into the experience and of course there are other languages that we use very commonly to rest in or relax in the the experience so feel your breath and see what happens as you relax while you're while you're feeling the breath in the nose or or in the chest or in the whole body however you're experiencing it and then you relax with it, with the knowing of it, with the direct experience. Right? Or let the breath and the awareness merge together right now. And another nice word that I like is to let the awareness and the breath become interpenetrative. Interpenetrative. Interpenetrative i can I can barely say it, but I like it because partly because there's an image that I often have that that points to this interpenetrative experience which sometimes I think here's how, what what we're attempting is so is that our awareness um, our breath is like if we here I have a glass of water. It would be great if I had this, but I don't. But you'll imagine it. Um, a glass of water, right? You can all see the water. And our breath is like the water. And it's here and we see it and we know it. And I can touch it, but it's still here. But if I put a drop of blue dye in the water, it permeates the wa- water. It's intrapenetrative. It becomes one with the water, which is what the fifth jhana factor is starting to point at in terms of possibility. And so we want our, our awareness to begin to permeate the water of the breath. I like to encourage people, and you'll see if it works for you or not, is not to be don't be afraid to experiment with discovering how to get closer, more immediate, more intimate with the breath and the body, with what's right here, And, and even asking the question, how do we become more intimate with the body and the breath? is a good question not that you have to figure out an intellectual answer but we're seeding the investigative factor of awakening right and the investigative factor is not just a mental factor it's an kinesthetic somatic energetic kind of investigation we want to experience this thing we call the breath. We want to know it so immediately, so closely. And so I like the word intimate. It's it's used um, often in conventionally, you know, it's conventionally, you know, when we're in an intimate relationship, we're very close to the person and we can start to become unified with that person when we're having an intimate relationship and and we it's easy especially at the beginning of intimate relationships oh that's we don't want to be anywhere else doesn't even matter what's happening i mean if usually one of the nice things about falling in love is like we don't even know the person but we're happy to be right there with them and know them and discover them in the reality of who they are, not in our idea of who they are. Not in our memory, not in our history. And so intimate is very powerful. And there is an easiness to open to the experiential reality when we're intimate. And of course, it's very um part of intimacy has a sensuality generally to it. It's really I relate it to the word eros, which often associated with sexuality, but really, what Eros is pointing at is aliveness. There's an aliveness that is erotic. and I don't mean sexual, I mean ero- I mean it's it's alive and it's it draws us, it calls us. and of course, the sensuality of life itself is something that is, in my experience, part of meditation practice. To get really close to the experience is it's experiential. It's not conceptual. It has a sensory component that also brings joy and pleasure and happiness. And these are part of the jhanic factors. And we don't have to be afraid of them. They're good. And they're part of the human inheritance, our sensuality in that way. And so um, falling in love partly is encouraged to see what happens if you fall in love with the present moment or fall in love with the breath, or fall in love with all the skillful means that unify our heart and mind in the direct experience now. And just to also give you a little example of the Buddha's um, sensuality, he talks about in jhana, in, in really in the first jhana is how here's how he describes it. It's quite beautiful. He talks about one enters and remains in 1st John, a rapture and pleasure born from seclusion, accompanied by, by directed thought evaluation. And one permeates and pervades and suffuses this very body with the rapture and pleasure born from seclusion. Right? It just And then he gives a beautiful example, an image. He says, just as if a skilled bathman or bathwoman's apprentice would pour bath powder into a brass basin and knead it together. So putting some powder in, and then you put it into the basin, and then you sprinkle it again and again with water so that the ball of powder, which was all separate, is, is, starts to become saturated, moist and laden, permeated within and without and would nevertheless not drip. Even so, the practitioner permeates this very body, this very breath, with the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. And there is nothing in one's entire body unpervaded by rapture and pleasure born from seclusion. And one becomes heedful, which means mindful generally, ardent and resolute and and letting go of the usual dukkha and with the abandoning of one's mind, with the abandoning of the uh, conventional dukkha I'm paraphrasing here. One's mind gathers and settles inwardly, grows unified and centered. This is how a practitioner develops mindfulness immersed in the body. That's a, I, I love that image personally. And it gives us some idea of what's being pointed at, the potential for consciousness to unify with experience. <clears throat> and there's a, a very, uh, I'm not, I, I think, a very famous little Zen story about the teacher-student in Chinese Zen, and the teacher says to the student, where are you going? And, uh, uh, and the student says, on pilgrimage. And the teacher says, what's the purpose of the pilgrimage? And the student says, I don't know. And the teacher said, not knowing is most intimate. There's a beautiful dharma in this little story. right? Where are you going? I don't know. Not knowing is most intimate. And so I want to encourage a little bit of our knowing and not knowing. This is part of the paradox that we're living with. Because we know. We know a lot. And there's so much we don't know. And even the breath. You know, one knows, I know, the breath. And also, I don't know the breath. The knowing of the breath was in the last breath. But this breath is brand new. And and it's never been breathed before, this breath. And so to start to let the not knowing, not let our knowing obscure the freshness of reality that is here in every moment. Every moment is actually brand new. And it's, we often forget that or lose touch with it, but it's still true. Each moment is brand new. And part of what's beautiful about letting go letting go of the past, letting go of everything. And it's just to be right here. My teacher would say, he'd say, oh yeah, this isn't so hard. If you, All you have to do is let go of everything and be with the breath. And I always love that kind of paradox. <laughs> it seemed like it wasn't that easy to let go of everything. But really he was saying, oh, that's, that's all you do. You just let go of everything and be right here with this breath. And the whole world can open up from there. Or the in Buddhism, the cosmos can open up in this body and breath right here. <clears throat> so part of uh, what we're doing is entering the unknown, the mystery of aliveness, the mystery of our hearts and minds the mystery of what it means to let go, the mystery of waking up individually and together. And so we don't want to let our experience of the breath be obscured by past knowledge of the breath. It's one of the great things about realizing no matter how long we've practiced, we're all beginners. Really, it's just beautiful. It's so freeing to be a beginner. Oh, Suzuki Roshi used to say. used to say, in the beginner's mind, there's many uh, understandings. But in the in in the no, excuse me, in the experienced student's mind, there's many things that they know. But the beginner's mind are totally open. And so please be a beginner with your breath. Discover it. And use all the skillful means to come into the magic of this moment that is brand new. And so we've been talking about the skills and, and I'll just, you know, patience and continuity and relaxation and steadfastness and discipline and discernment. Ah... Uh, One other piece I would like to add in is mistakes are good. Don't worry about making a mistake. If you make a mistake, you'll learn from the mistake. That's how learning happens, at least for me. I do something and it works or it doesn't work. Or, oh yeah, that's right or it's not right. And it's nothing. It's just not personal. It's just oh, yeah, that wasn't so skillful, this is okay, I won't do that again. Very simple in that way, but still we're afraid sometimes to not try something or experiment or give ourselves in a way maybe none of us have said, right? You may discover another way to get closer to the breath and the, the, the body and this moment's experience. And that's one of the beautiful things is we're all learning how to practice And wake up together. And so, seeing you know what works, what doesn't work. You know, I when I was younger, I was a little. um, I had some masculine energy, (laughs) meaning I was a little like I'm gonna do it. You know, a little. Fierce sometimes. And, you know, and, and I loved the teaching that I got early on, which was practice as if your hair is on fire. And I, uh, you know, I thought, great, that's how I'm going to practice as if my hair is on fire. And there's a real um, benefit to knowing how to do that. That's, that's a, a way to practice sometimes. Although, as I got a little older, I, I saw, oh, that doesn't work so well in the long term. Your hair is always on fire, and so and then. But later, I I was um, given by uh, Reb Anderson, Zen teacher at Zen Center, uh, the the actual quote from Tao Zen, um, from you know fifteen uh, no, excuse me, not fifteen from um, six ten, six hundred and ten, uh, and the the original quote what was, when the mind itself is peaceful and pure, when the mind itself is peaceful and pure, then all that is needed is bold advance, as if to save your head from fire. So that was the original quote. And it's beautiful, because it's so much more balanced than the quote I was given as a young man which was good enough, you know, practice as if your hair is on fire. But I didn't get the, oh, practice when the mind itself is peaceful and pure. And so part of what that brings in for all of us is, oh, we want to settle, settle, settle. We're not rushing, and yet we know, oh, when we're here, okay, let's go. Here we go. And of course, it doesn't mean we're not practicing when we're a little more up and down with the practice, but when th- as things start to calm, oh, the doorway is opening more. And so as we settle, as we get more collectedness, it's good, it feels good. Okay, let's see what happens now. Let's give ourselves more fully even in a subtle or sublime way. It's not a muscular giving ourselves. It's even more subtle, more sublime. I love the, that word because it points to something ineffable. And we all know something about this just from normal life. Like I have a great appreciation for both athletics and the arts and concentration is in all of them. Right? If you see a great if you're a basketball fan, which I am these days, for if you watch Stuff Curry play basketball, he's so relaxed and so beautiful making these shots. Sometimes I've had a, a few monastics over where I had to say, excuse me, I, I have to watch a basketball game now. Excuse me, venerable. But you can join me if you want, and they have. And, and this one, uh, 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 Aya Bodhi. She watched with me, and she was like, oh, oh, yeah, he's he's a ballerina. And she got it, because his presence was unified. His heart and mind and body was unified. And that is what we're doing here. We're unifying body, heart, and mind breathing right here, right in this simple experience. Just like we already have some knowledge when we swim, or run, or walk, and we're just there in doing that. And of course, same in the arts. <clears throat> Here. Um, no, too, too long. It's good, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll just say it. Here, it's from a, a woman, piano pianist, Mildred Chase. She said, just being at the piano, because, you know, any, this is my add-on, any great artist gives themselves to the art. And they devote themselves, and they become the art itself. Like a great, if you see a great dancer, it's like they're, they're totally doing nothing, and they're doing everything at the same time. So here, Mildred Chase, she wrote... Just being at the piano egoless, being at the piano egoless is to reach the place where the only thing that exists is the sound and the moving toward the sound. We could say the breath and becoming one with the breath. The, The music on the page that was outside of you is now within you and moves through you and you are a channel for the music and play from the center of your being. Everything that you have consciously learned, all of your knowledge, emanates from within you. There is a sense of oneness in which the heart of the musician and the heart of the composer meet, in which there is no room for self-conscious thought. You are one with yourself and the act and feel as if playing has already happened and you are effortlessly releasing it. The music is in your hands, in the air, in the room, the music is everywhere, and the whole universe is contained in the experience of playing. That's part of the what can happen for us in meditation practice. That exact experience that she describes of becoming unified with our simple music of body and breathing. I'll end with uh, one last understanding of samadhi. It's from the Mahayana tradition, but I like it very much. Samadhi is a non-dualistic state of consciousness. Samadhi is a non-dualistic state of consciousness in which the consciousness of the experiencing subject becomes one with the experiencing object, and thus is only experiential content. So it's they're pointing here at the non-dual of becoming the breath, and the breath knowing itself by being itself. Let's please sit for a moment. for your kind attention. We'll have about a half an hour of walking meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.